We're going to continue on in our sermon series in the life of David. 1 Samuel chapter 27. And uh, please stand as you are able in recognition of the authority of God's word. Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over, he and the six hundred men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given me in one of the country towns, that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites, for these were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as far as sure to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the garments, and come back to Achish. When Achish asked, Where have you made a raid today? David would say, Against the Negeb of Judah, or against the Negeb of the Jeremelites, or against the Negeb of the Kenites. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking, lest they should tell about us and say, So David has done. Such was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. And Achish trusted David, thinking, He has made himself an utter stench to his, to his people Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. My name is Craig Cody. I'm one of the elders here at Christ Community. We're glad you're here today. It's really good to see your faces and Thank you for braving the slight dusting we had out there. Glad you guys all made it safe. Um, we're in the middle of this series through David, Life of David. Um, we're looking at the books of First and Second Samuel, and we're walking through the, the, the life of David, starting from the moment when he was anointed king, and we're going to walk all the way through the end of his life. Last week, we looked at David and Abigail. Jason talked to us about beauty. Beauty witnessing to us. Ultimately, beauty witnesses to someone greater, to the source of true beauty, the most beautiful one, Jesus Christ. And that was really sweet. It was a sweet reminder of something that we had talked about at the very outset of this series, the very first sermon that we talked about David. Uh, we talked about Psalm 27, a psalm of David. And he said these words. They're going to be up here on your screen. Psalm 27, verses 4, and then verse 8. He said this. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And then verse 8, you have said, so he's speaking to God, you have said, God, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. 
And that was our goal. That was our prayer, to seek God together in these times in his word, to see the beauty of God. And by God's grace, I think we're doing that. Step by step, we're seeing God's beauty come to us through his word. And it's a privilege to do that with you guys week after week, to see the beauty of our great God come to us through his, through his word. So each week what we're doing as we walk through David's life, it's David and someone or something or some place. We've looked at David and Samuel, David and Saul, David and Goliath, David and Jonathan, David and Doeg. Remember that guy? David in the wilderness, David and Abigail, and then this week, David and the Philistines. So if you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and open it up to 1 Samuel chapter 27. There should be a gray pew Bible. If you don't have one of your own, that's yours to take as a gift from us to you. Please take that. It's the word of God. Open it up, 1 Samuel chapter 27. We once again find David in this prolonged season of wilderness. He's running from King Saul. And he's escaping Saul by being in that desolate place, the wilderness. Altogether, David has been in the wilderness for about 10 years. 10 years. That's 10 years of fight or flight mode constantly. 10 years of seeking refuge in caves for a roof over your head, hard ground to sleep on. 10 years of wondering where the next meal would come from. That's a long time. In the past, as I've thought personally about David's life, I was under the impression that while David was in the wilderness, he was at his absolute best, meaning his heart was at its absolute best, in the right place. He was desperate. He was hungry for God. But when he takes the throne, which we'll see later on, he had the kingdom, everything was good, that's when things started to go south. We saw that a couple weeks ago, this type of heart in David in Psalm 57. David cries out to God in the midst of great suffering in the wilderness. David's wilderness experience, it stripped him bare, laid him low, and he turned to the living God. But this is really eye-opening to me. That's not the whole story of David in the wilderness. Let me ask you this. Have you gone through the wilderness? I asked you that a couple weeks ago. I'm asking you again. Have you gone through the wilderness? Not, not the backpacking trip in the Rockies. The wilderness, the dark night of the soul. The wilderness of the soul. There may be times in the wilderness that we're made aware of our thirst for something more. Our thirst for God that only he can satisfy. And we cry out for him and we get more of him. And there are also times in the wilderness where we have profound soul thirst and we try to satisfy it by eating an entire tub of ice cream or by binge-watching Netflix or by retail therapy. The wilderness isn't necessarily an experience of unrelenting desperation for God, is it? We all know that from our own experiences with that. It has ups and it has downs, and David is no exception to that. Just consider the last three chapters before we get to chapter 27. Chapter 24, David is in the cave, and then Saul walks in. And rather than taking matters into his own hands and killing Saul right there on the spot, he trusts God. He knows that God has to act. He has to trust God to move, and so he waits on the Lord. 
chapter 24. Now we're into chapter 25. Well, that was last week. That was what Jason was talking about with David and Abigail. David, in that chapter, gets crossed by Nabal. He's not going to have it, and he's not waiting on God this time. He's taking matters into his own hands, and in rage, he rushes to go kill Nabal. But, praise God, Abigail stops him from doing something he shouldn't do. So we've, we've gone up, and now we're down. Well, chapter 26, he's back up again. He's back trusting God again. He, he stumbles upon Saul and his camp, and Saul's sleeping, and there's the spear, and his friends just say, David, just run him through, pin him to the ground in this thing. And David says, no, no, I trust God. I trust God. And he doesn't. Now, chapter 27, where we are today. David again turns to himself. There's good news here, though, friends. There's good news for us. Wilderness or not, through all the ups and downs, God remains faithful. And that's what we're going to see today in, today's, in, in this text that we're going to look at. This is the main idea, and it's going to be up here on your screen. This is what I want you to take away from our time together this morning. God remains faithful even when David and we are unfaithful. I'm going to say that one more time. God remains faithful even when David and we are unfaithful. Let me pray for our time together. Oh, Lord, how we need you right now. We need your word to us. Use the mighty sword of your spirit to cut deep into our hearts, revealing the thoughts and intentions of our own hearts. Lay us bare before you, Lord. Reveal to us our sin. Reveal to us our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 1 Samuel 27. Here's the first thing we see. God remains faithful even when unfaithful David looks inward for guidance. This is the first verse of the chapter. I'm going to read it again for us real quick. Verse 1, Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day at the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Back in chapter 22, David rescued a guy named Abiathar. He was one of the remaining, he was the last remaining priest from the city of Nob. And when he did that, he brought someone into his company of men who could inquire of God, who could seek God, get direction from God. And that actually is what happens right at the end of chapter 22 going into chapter 23. It says that David inquires of the Lord. He's relying on God. He's asking God for guidance. But in chapter 27, to whom does David turn for guidance? Who, does he, who is he looking to? He's looking to himself. Somehow, from chapter 26, where he's totally trusting God, to chapter 27, he's gone from complete trust that God will deliver him to relying on his own logic, his own brains, his own decision-making to come up with a solution to his troubles. And he starts to listen to himself. Do you remember what I, what I talked to you about a couple weeks ago about listening to yourself versus speaking to yourself or preaching to yourself? He's listening to himself, to his own ideas. And he's, what is he telling himself? He's saying, Saul's going to get me. God's not going to protect me. i got to take care of me. David feels pressed into a difficult decision. And instead of looking to God... He looks within. So let me ask you, brothers and sisters, to whom 
do you seek guidance? From whom do you seek guidance? Where do you seek guidance? Where do you seek wisdom to make the choices in your life? If you listen to the world around you, they're going to say that the answer is found within you. If you, you can lead yourself as you see fit. You can lead yourself into whatever job you want, education you want, parenting style you want, entertainment you want, gender you want, sexuality you want, morality, ethics, whatever you want. It's found within. That's where your answers are going to be found. As Christians, we believe that we are created beings. God created all things, including me, including you. And he did not leave us without guidance. He gave us his word, and he gave us his spirit. His word, it tells us who he is, it tells us what he's done, and it tells us how we live in light of that. This is the source. This book is the source of all wisdom and guidance. Let's get real practical here, though. Questions. What kind of questions do you have about your own life? How do I, let me, these are some questions from my own life, maybe from your life. How should I school my kids? Is this the best way for me to use my money? What major should I choose? Is this the right guy or girl for me? How do we come to God for answers? If those are, the, those are the questions we're asking, how do we come to him for those answers? How do we turn to God instead of ourselves? Well, we come to the word. Friends, let me just exhort you right now. Open your Bibles. I don't mean right now. Yeah, you, I hope you have your Bible already open. I mean day after day, read the word of God. Read your Bibles. This is why... I was thinking about this. This is why we preach the way that we preach. We preach book by book, line by line. Because my logic, it's not worth your time. I'm wasting your time if I'm speaking from my own thoughts, my own brain. But God's word is treasure. I'm not talking about seeking God by doing the pray and flip. You guys know the pray and flip? Oh God, what should I do? Please give me wisdom. That one. I did that one time. I was trying to figure out a name for a band that I had in college. I came up with Scribes and Elders of the People. That's not a good band name. Well, maybe you guys think it's cool. I did not think it was cool. That's not how the Word of God speaks to us. That is not the way that God's Word works. You come to the Word of God day after day, day after day, steady, drip, drip, drip over time. As one author put it, listen to this, it is not coincidental that a lack of discernment and a, ne and a neglected Bible are so often found in company. Your mind, your heart, your thinking is shaped by him by time in his word. When King Solomon needed wisdom to decide whether a baby belonged to this woman or that woman, he needed discernment, he needed wisdom, he called for a sword, right? Brothers and sisters, call for your sword. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of, your, of the heart, of your heart. The Bible reveals the deepest parts of your heart, your thoughts and your intentions, and that's a big part of what you need to know when you make decisions, what's going on in your heart. One more thing. Maybe you've never read the Bible before. 
Maybe the, this is the first time you've ever even been in a church before. Or maybe you have been coming to church, but you've hardly ever read it. Or you've read it, but it's really easy to put down, really a whole lot more easy to check your phone or whatever else. Friends, repent. Turn to God. Trust in him. Turn by grace to his word. Sometimes we think that every day in God's word has to be this incredible Jesus moment where he's there and everything is just awesome. No, this is blue-collar work. You are a rough block of marble that needs steady, firm blows from the pickaxe of the word of God. Even just 10 minutes with the living God in his powerful word, that's countercultural. And there is grace here. There's grace for this, for pursuing God through his word. Though David unfaithfully turned to himself for guidance, God remained faithful. David looked within, God remained faithful. God uses this time to bring about the downfall of Saul. He looked within, he ran away, God was still at work. Even though David doesn't listen to God, God cares for him. And he will do the same for all of us. We who neglect his word. God is so very gracious. He is so gracious to give us his word. And he is so gracious to us when we neglect his word and head places we shouldn't. So that's the first one. God remains faithful even when unfaithful David and us look inward for guidance. Here's the second thing we're going to see. God is faithful even when unfaithful David relies on God's enemies for protection. It's going to be on your screen. Even when unfaithful David relies on enemies for protection. So that's verse 2. David is scared. We already know that. He fears for his life. He's been running from Saul for so long. At times he turns to God, but this time he turns to the Philistines. The Philistines. Honestly, this is absurd. If you think about the logic behind this, it's crazy. And the original audience, as they read this, the Israelites who were reading First and Second Samuel also knew. This is crazy. Why is it crazy? The Philistines knew the song. Do you remember that song that went like this? Saul killed his thousands, David his ten thousands. Most likely they're talking about David killing Philistines. And David goes to them. Second, the king, Achish, already knows David. And he knows him as an insane man. Back in chapter 21, David goes to Achish, running again for his life, and again, racked by fear. But this time, this first time that he interacts with him, this king of Gath, he decides he's going to act like he's nuts. He starts to spit all over himself. He starts to make marks on walls. He's crazy. That's how Achish knows this guy. And if, if they don't know him from those two reasons, from the song or from him being crazy, they know him because they, he killed the hometown hero. He killed Goliath. He cut that guy's head off. And yet, by the end of chapter, of, of chapter 27, going into chapter 28, the king, Achish, asks David to be the keeper of his head. How ironic is that? The other guy from Gath, yeah, he kept his head in his hand after he cut it off. What's going on here? What's happening? 
I think the quick chumminess between Achish and David is that old, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. They have a common enemy, Achish and David. And who's that? It's Saul. Saul's against both of them. And in that, they form an alliance. But fundamentally, what's happening here is David is, is unfaithfully turning to a regional superpower for protection. Rather than the one who delivered him from bears and lions as a boy, who delivered him from Goliath, who delivered him from Saul over and over again, the one who had given him success in everything that he had done, all the battles that he had fought, and whose promises had never failed. Instead of trusting in him, he trusted in the Philistines, in his enemies. This is a critical question for us. To whom do we turn for protection? David turned to this superpower because he seemed like it seemed to him at that time that he would get more protection from them. Who do you turn to for protection? Protection for your finances. Protection for your family. Protection for your job. Protection for your relationships. Protection from insecurities. Protection from failure. What do you turn to for protection? David sought protection from what the world had to offer. And in many ways, so do we. So much in the world promises the protection that we seek, but ultimately only one can deliver us, truly deliver us, truly protect us. Please hear this word of God to you, to me today. The world will boast of many types of protection. 401ks, wonderful compensation packages, popularity, deep, lasting, satisfying relationships. But none of those is a safe haven for your soul, a true place of rest and protection that is only found in Jesus Christ. He is the faithful one, able to truly protect you from the greatest enemies of hell and Satan and your own sin by giving his life for you. God is faithful. In fact, while David is running around with the enemy, God is still faithfully working. He graciously uses that to preserve David's life, his family's lives, and the lives of everyone who are with him. God is faithful to his promises to David, and he's faithful to his promises to you for true protection through Jesus Christ. That's number two. Number three, God is faithful even when unfaithful David fearfully lies. That's in verses five and in verses 10. Let me just read um, verse 5 for us, give us a little context. Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given to me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? Again, David's pushed here by his fear. He doesn't turn to God for guidance. He doesn't seek protection from God. He runs to the Philistine king Achish, and he's afraid. And so what does he do while he's with him? He lies. He tells Achish, that he is his servant. And then in verse 10, Akash is asking him how he spends his time, and he lies again. He completely makes it up what he's doing. Why? Why does he lie? Because he's afraid. Not of God. He's not afraid of God and what God would do to him. He is afraid of man. Fear of man can do many things in our hearts, can't it? 
And one of the big ones is lying. We, we minimize our weaknesses and we inflate our strengths or our successes. We, trist, we twist the truth to get what we want, namely approval from other people. Listen, I'm an expert at this. I do this all the time. I feel insecure. Or I want people to like me. Or I don't want them to hate me. And I twist things just enough so that I can stay in their good graces. Darcy and I, my wife Darcy and I, were just talking about it this week. This is incredibly convicting to me. I fear man more than I fear God. Nevertheless, God remains faithful. When God speaks, he speaks truth. God promised David as his chosen one success, protection, and blessing. That's what David got, even in the midst of his unfaithful lying. God was true. And that is such good news for us. God didn't wait for David to clean up his act before being gracious towards him. God remains true to his word. And God doesn't wait for us to get right before being gracious to us. He remains true to his word to you. That all who call upon the name of Jesus will be delivered from sin and brought into his eternally safe kingdom. That is true. You are secure in him. You can put down the lies. You can put down trying to impress people with your words, trying to twist truth, trying to be afraid, being out of fear, twisting truth to gain approval because you have already been approved through faith in Jesus Christ. Praise God. And then lastly, God is faithful even when unfaithful David brutally sheds blood. This is verses 8 and 9. David has honed his mercenary skill by now. He regularly, over this 16-month period that he's living in Philistine, mounts up with his men, rides into a village, slaughters everyone, and takes the spoil. It's really quite brutal. And we find out later, David's brutality disqualifies him from eventually building the temple. These raids, mercenary acts, have not been authorized by God. At times, God uses his people to execute judgment on other peoples and nations. But from everything that we read in this passage, we're led to believe that David is acting without direction from God. He is not seeking direction or guidance from him. So what's David's motivation? Why is he doing this? Most likely, he's seeking provisions for him and his people. Simple survival tactics. Yet complete destruction is poured out to protect himself. Now, I realize as far as application goes, I don't think that anyone in this room uh, has the brutal elimination of a neighboring city on their minds this morning. Glad you're laughing. <laughs> However, this does show... <laughs> yeah. No, let's not, okay? That's not, not good. However... This does show us again what happens when we, turning to ourselves for counsel, as David started with, turning to others for protection, turning to lies out of fear, can lead to horrible outcomes. 
Despite David's brutal behavior, God still remains faithful. And in this case, this is God remaining faithful to an old pronouncement of judgment. Long ago, God condemned the very peoples that David was fighting against. They had sinned against God. He had given them hundreds of years to repent, and they did not. Many years before, Joshua was sent to execute that judgment, but he and the people of Israel unfaithfully did not complete the task. David here, through his disobedient action, does what God said would happen many years prior. God is faithful to do what he said he would do. And I realize God saying, God being faithful to do what he said he would do is a little bit jarring in this situation. Friends, this is a warning for us. God promises judgment for our sin. Just like David had blood on his hands, we all have proverbial blood on our hands. We're guilty before a high and a holy God. But God remains faithful. He did something amazing. He sent his son Jesus to shed his blood to take away the stain of sin from our hearts. And God has promised that all who trust in him will be saved. God remains faithful, even when David and we are unfaithful. I've said it many times today already, and I'm going to say it again. This is such good news. Though David acts unfaithfully in many ways, God graciously keeps his promises and establishes his kingdom. And that is exactly what he's done for us. We have all acted unfaithfully in the very same ways that David has. But he, God, has kept his promises. He has established his kingdom. How? Through his son, Jesus Christ, going to the cross going to the grave, and rising again. On that great day, the kingdom was firmly established for all eternity. And that kingdom has flung open its doors wide to all who trust in him. Not those who have their lives right. Not those who get their stuff together. Not those who have everything figured out. Not those with all the answers. Not those who only trust in God to everyone who trusts in him. That door is open for sinners, for me, for you. Listen to the words of Romans 5.8. God shows his love for us in this, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Praise God. Praise God that his kingdom has come through our Savior, Jesus. Let's pray. Oh God, send your word forth today. Cut through our hearts, reveal sin, Open our eyes to see that the doors are open wide to the kingdom of heaven through Jesus. Thank you that you are faithful. Though we are unfaithful, you have remained faithful and you demonstrated it in that while we were sinners, Jesus, you died for us. We worship you for that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.